the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are on the hunt for missing persons with Kate Beckinsale in The Widow, unearthing old crimes with Kelly MacDonald in The Victim, and talking about Brexit in all but name with Toby Jones in Don't Forget the Driver. All that! And Boyd takes some time to chat with Aidan Gillen about UFOs for his new series, Project Blue Book. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the 30th week anniversary of the Pilot TV podcast. That's right. We've been banging on about this nonsense for a full 30 episodes at this point. 30! Who'd have thought we'd last 30 episodes without, frankly, killing each other, eh? Uh, I think we've come close, you think? At times, we've come close. There was, there was McCann Gates. That was a thing. Anytime I mention Picard, your insistence on featuring every true crime documentary that drifts across your Netflix feed. But other than that, I think we've weathered this quite well. Don't you think, Terry? No. No. Also, haven't you've missed out fucking Fire Escape. That, that fire was, there, escape. Was no, there was no Fire Escape <laughs> gate. It was just, you know... Fire Escape gate burns bright. God. I simply informed you of something valuable and you chose to ignore it, which is the moral of my life. I mean, oh, like, what most people don't see is that the pilot podcast is really kind of a microcosm of every single day in the Empire and Pilot <laughs> offices, which is this happens for pretty much 12 hours a day, which I think makes us both um, impossible to work with. There's a small child who's actually an adult, but compared to all of us, he's a small child. Ben Travis, who works on Empire, who has to literally, the office is so small, he has to sit literally between us. When I roll my chair out, I hit him. When you roll your chair out, you hit him. When we're shouting at each other, we shout over him. And I'd like to take this moment to publicly apologise to Ben for the trauma that he has to face watching Mummy and Daddy argue constantly. I had to fill out a uh, form to get an I visa to go to America. And at one point it said, have you ever recruited child soldiers? And I had to take a second turn around and look at him before answering no. True story. That's topical. Yeah. Topically relating to one of this it week's programs. It does. As well. See, it's all tied together, Boyd. It's all the internet of trees. It's almost like you. Pl- ah, uh, yes. <laughs> but Boyd, what what role do you pl- think you play in the dynamic? Is it like the dynamic? The dynamic. <laughs> the dynamic. Can I just say we're recording this earlier than normal? We are. And yeah. I'm only halfway through my massive coffee, and I've been up since five a.m. But um, what part do you play in our dynamic? I like to think, I don't know, yeah, I'm like the lawyer maybe between the two of you, <laughs> warring parents or something, something like that. Yeah. This is like Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit Kramer versus Kramer, yeah. 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 No, you do a You're good job, definitely boy. Dustin Hoffman. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Boyd. Yeah. Well, so for the 30th time, I am joined by two co-hosts as we head into this, the last week before Game of Thrones returns to our screens. Hooray! To my left, hailing from far beyond the wall, beyond the frost fangs and the fist of the first men, from the farthest reaches of civilization, specifically Chesterfield, the land of Chude. Uh, it's Terry White Walker. Oh, very good. Yeah. Is, oh. is Chude, is it a well-known term where you're from? I think so. I can never tell. You know when you leave somewhere and you can't tell if what you say is um, relative to your school and your village? So I don't know if Chuddy, I'd, I'd like to hear from anyone else who uses Chuddy. Um, and it means chewing gum, obviously. So I'll often say in the Empire of it's, has anyone got any Chuddy? Which basically then everyone goes, eh, Chuddy! All the posh southern people <laughs> shout Chuddy at me. Um, so yeah, I couldn't tell you. Boy, have you ever had any Chuddy? <laughs> I've had some Chuddy, yeah, but I, did, I only knew. Yeah, I only knew it was because Terry told me before. Is it unique to you, or you're saying this is? No. General? Are you sure? Do, is, it feels is, unique. To do, you. Yeah. do I give off the sense that I just create my own language? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, if someone no. has chewing gum and they chew it well, do they get a chuddy badge? 
Oh, well, you're getting that confused with chufty badge. Right. Uh, so yeah. chufty badge is usually used in a disparaging way when somebody, a man like James, yeah. would say, would, oh, I've done this thing that is, of course you should do because you're a human being. Oh, I was nice to somebody today. <laughs> I passed somebody in the street and was pleasant. And you go, well, what do you want? A chufty badge. And that is right. a basically oh, okay. sarcasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if Michaela Cole had been born in, where is it, Chesterfield, she would have yeah. called it Chuddy, her two pa- t- six-part <laughs> comedy series. On, I think, on it's, got a, I think yeah. it's got a ring to it. Yeah. Tales heard... of Chuddy. Is that uh, the title of your book? Yeah. <laughs> Tales of It's going to be a bestseller. Tales... Chuddy Sagas. The Chuddy Tales from Chuddyland. Joining Terry and myself is a priest of R'hllor, the Red God... A man who regularly gazes into the flames hoping for a glimpse of the future. There is nothing to worry about, however, for as Boyd Scrying will attest, the night is dark and full of terribly famous people he can make friends with. It's Boyd Hilton. Good morning. Hi, Boyd. How are you? I've got a bit of a cold, actually. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. On a scale of one to seven, see what I did there, how excited are you that Game of Thrones will be returning in a week? 6.9999999. 6.9999999. Recurring. Yes. It's good. Good. Yes. Oh, so excited. Sarah, you must be out of your mind having never watched a single episode. Yeah. Uh, well, so I have um, decided that I'm, I was going to try and catch up before it started. And then I had lots of other things to do, like a job um, and something else big I'm doing at the moment. And I had no time. Um, but I'm put aside Sunday just to go from 8am till 10pm. Wait a minute. There are 67 no, 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 episodes. No, 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 to do the first season. <laughs> oh, okay. But hold on a minute. You put aside weekend to watch the OA as well. I know, but the OA is going to have to like, oh, be relegated, right? Sake. So There is, at this point, actually, you know, mathematically, if you didn't sleep, you could definitely, you could definitely catch up. How up. much do we think I could... Ooh, I wonder if there's a way to identify... Um, uh, the being able to watch essentially the entire show so far by only watching key episodes that plot out the important narrative arc yeah. and missing out episodes that you can probably skip because you wouldn't need them as far as the main plotting went, Boyd. I think you probably could, but it would be a, it'd be an interesting uh, exercise. But you know there are catch-ups. Now. I think on Sky, on Sky box sets or whatever, somewhere there are actual catch-ups for each season they've done, which are re- going to be really useful. I mean... What do you mean? Like the little five-minute, I think... Previously um, ons. Like summaries of each season is this jamie east i think jamie east done it jamie yes. east yes um, that's right who is a um a critic for a, a tabloid newspaper and also has a radio show yeah. he started this thing right previously yeah. on where he yeah. does and recaps he, and he does reports on um sky atlantic's official game of thrones um fan show yes hosted by sue perkins and i think he so this is partly for that and partly for sky atlantic customers so i could watch i could watch yeah. is it a video or part? i think it's video i think it's video okay yeah. so i can watch all of those and not need to watch yeah and in, in theory, yeah. Can you do that, please, and then come on the podcast so then I can just sort of look down my nose and throne splain to you for 45 minutes? I mean, enter anything splain, <laughs> and it will be like an, any other day of our existence together. See, um, you're on the wrong side of this one. Like, normally, normally, I will concede it's perhaps me that's out on a limb with some incredibly geeky property that only I in the whole world like. This, however, is a cultural phenomenon that you, you just passed you by. No, no, I'm totally with you. So there are certain things I had the same, and it's not the same, but I had the same with The Wire. Um, there, It was the same with Sons of Anarchy. There are things that when they start, if I don't get into them at the beginning, so I remember when Game of Thrones started, I think I was living in New York, but I remember I was in the middle of a massive project and I was like, I'm not going to watch it. I haven't got time. I'm going to wait till the end and catch up and then 
And then I never did it. And then it became a thing. And then it felt too overwhelming to start. Hmm. So I feel completely out on a limb. I feel really not able to have any discourse on this because I know nothing. I feel really out of a big cultural moment happening. And that makes me very uncomfortable and quite upset. Yeah, I bet. So, yes, you're correct, James. Enjoy that moment. I'm not convinced whether you'll like it or not. You want me not to like it, don't you? I really do. So much, I can't even tell you. Oh, my God, you want me not to like it. desperate for you to hate it. I mean, there will be lots of things you don't like about it. You will have major issues with major moments. I mean, mean, the show has issues. Sexual violence, Yes, sexual violence in particular. It has sexual violence in it. The the bigger problem, I think, the female representation early on in the show is tricky. And they got a lot of uh, shit for that, and they addressed it. It's very, just relentlessly booby for no particular reason. Sex position is something that they do quite a lot of, uh, where people will dump boring exposition while, well, doing things to each other. Um, yeah, in the early days, it, I mean, this is the whole thing, but in the early days it felt like they were really celebrating. In fact, it was on HBO, yes, so we're going to have as much, much so. gratuitous, genuinely gratuitous mm. sex nudity yeah. and gore. I mean, the gore is, is, is slightly more, um, less we, gratuitous. We got to see uh, Theon's Greyjoy. You we know. did. Yeah, there was a lot of male nudity as well, to be fair, but yeah. there was definitely a... a the, the show definitely had issues, yeah. But I think it's just because it's built the world so... so the, the world is so densely textured. I mean, why it's crossed over, you know. It's like the Lord of the Rings, isn't it? It's got that Lord of the Rings thing about it. it people buy into the mythology a lot. A lot, of, a lot of this, though, because I think why it's had crossover appeal is because it doesn't dwell on the fantastical. It dwells on the yeah. character interaction. The human, right? So, yeah, like, but it's, yeah. The, it's the skullduggery and the scheming and the plotting yeah. and just people being absolute bastards to each other, I think, yeah. that people lash So, wait a minute, are you not going to be in the country when... when uh, no, I'm not. So, where are you, do you know where you're going to be? I'm going to be... <laughs> I, I can tell you where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in my hotel room glued to HBO as uh, I'm going to okay, be. Uh, so I will hopefully right. watch it as it broadcasts on HBO. So I'll see it actually before you do. Ah. No, no, no. Um, Simulcast on Sky at two in the morning. Oh, yeah. Doofus. Like you're going to watch it at two also in the morning. Of course he is. He's Boyd Hilton. Yeah, I always watch it at two in the morning. Really? Yes. See, Everyone I does. wouldn't do that. Millions. Oh, really? Yeah, no. I would wake up first thing in the morning and watch it because I would. Oh, no, um, two in the morning. I'd, like, I'd be too tired to enjoy it. No, no, no. I used to do that with um, Westworld. I used to yeah, stay yeah, up and yeah. watch it at two in the morning. I just, I just, I a lot of people do. They get huge ratings. For I the, can't for enjoy the a show at two in the morning because all I'm thinking about is going to sleep. That's ridiculous. Right. So, other than not watching, uh, <laughs> not watching Game of Thrones, Terry, what have you been uh, devouring? Anything? I've totally forgotten. <laughs> what have I been watching? Oh my god! Fleabag. Um, yes, Fleabag. No, I have been. Wa- I had some I wanted to talk about. Oh. Start with Boyd. Boyd, yes. What have you been watching? <laughs> uh, I've been watching Fleabag. Yes. Um, as we as we go out on Monday. Um, and so we're recording this on Friday, as always. And the final episode will screen. It'll be it's available ten in the morning. So for real Fleabag fans, I think they'll watch it on the BBC Three on the iPlayer. The, the final episode, mm. and then other people will watch it when it goes out live ten thirty five BBC One. But in general, I think this series has been like I love the first series, but in general, this series I and mean, it's everything's been said pretty much. But it's been a massive step up. It's the way she's handled this relationship with the priest, played by Andrew Scott, has been incredible the way it's it's resolved in the final episode i felt was so real and heartbreaking and she, she i think all the way through everything that happens in this show it's one of those shows where it manages to be dazzlingly funny and smart mm. and clever and sexy and everything and yet it's every but completely authentic so everything you, she she makes sure that every single thing is believable and real well there's right a, up to, a very thick vein of tragedy running all yeah, the way through oh, gotcha. it. yeah but the relationship between her and her sister 
so the, the finale t- takes place is built around the wedding between dad and the the stepmother. I love that no they one has names in this. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And there's a brilliant bit in the final episode where they kind of play on yeah, that as well, yeah, yeah. which I thought was amazing. And just Olivia Coleman gets the let rip, which is joyous. It's got everything, and she doesn't. She says there's not going to be another third season. Fair enough, you know, two perfect series. One of which this series, of which is going to go down as an all-time classic piece of TV. So yeah, I think it's. I still think, and we talked about this the first episode, that it has completely raised the yeah. bar in terms of television, and not just British television. I think globally, I think this is yeah. something that will be seen as a kind of a real seminal moment, and not just in in women writers and all. Uh, none of that dialogue, actually. I think mm. this is. By any standards, on any kind of peer level, it is the most outstanding piece of television from the performances, the writing, the heart, the humour. I mean, it's impeccable, and I think it's peerless, actually. Mm, It's extraordinary. The final shot in this, without giving anything away, I think is perfect as well. Yeah, and a big tribute to bus, um, people who go travel by bus, as I do. There's a lot of bus love in this. A lot of bus love. A lot of bus love. Yeah. Very and I can one. confirm, Femi Waller Bridge does go by bus. I, I saw her on the bus. Once. Did you? Yes. <laughs> you saw Fleabag on a bus. Saw Fleabag on the bus. Amazing. Yeah. So that Amazing. comes from a genuine place of bus love. <laughs> Terry, you remember what you've been watching yet? Um. Oh. Um. Sorry, I just hit myself in the face. You can't see that <laughs> with the microphone. Um, with the microphone, because I got so excited to answer James's question. <laughs> oh God. Because um, you will be pleased to hear. I know that I watched the BBC Jill Dando documentary <laughs> oh, am, this yes. week. Um, James, James's you, you face remember Jill Dando? James is like moving to turn down your mic. Or yeah, I'm, so I'm reaching for the knob. Can I, can I turn Terry off? Is this a thing I can knob. do? So, I'm... Uh, the Murder of Jill Dando, it was called. Um, and it, was, it wasn't trashy. It was very beautifully handled. I think it got a lot of five-star reviews, actually, this week. Um, and it very much focused on the detective, Hamish Campbell, from the time, Um it interviews her friends, some of her family, notably not her partner at the time, Alan Farthing, who's never um, spoken ever, I don't think. Um, and basically unpacks exactly what happened, why they still don't know who did it, why most of the theories are rubbish. It leaves you with no answers whatsoever, probably more questions you'd be, than you began. But it was just really intelligently, smartly done. And coming out of the back of the Madeleine McCann documentary, which I, as you know my feelings, James, I don't need to talk about them anymore. Um <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Mar- Marcus Plowright, who is a really great documentary maker, is behind this one. I think you can tell it's it's somebody who excels in documentary as a form. Um, so I very much enjoyed this. But, it's you know, on iPlayer right now. It is on iPlayer right now. Good to know. I haven't been watching that. I have been pressing on with my Sons of Anarchy rewatch. I've just entered season two. It took a long time for me to bridge the season one, season two, because I, I know how well you remember Sons of Anarchy, but every new season, the first episode starts with uh, an act of horrible violence. Like It's something that Kurt Sutter seems to revel in. He does something horrific. The beginning of season two incident is the worst of the lot. And it took a long time before I could just summon up the will to do it. And I did actually, one day last week, I had a terrible day at work and I thought, you know what, this day can't get any worse. So I put it on, watch it then. I was wrong. It can. It's absolutely <laughs> grotesquely unpleasant. Um, it's, yeah, it's 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 very, very nasty. So, But I'm through that now. And actually now it should be plain old sailing until someone's, one of their children gets set on fire later in the show. So, um, you know, all good, all good. Although here's an interesting thing. So Opie, who's played by Ryan Hurst, actually also plays Beta in the new series of The Walking Dead. Fine. Okay. 
Neither of you care because neither of you watched The Walking Dead, but that is a thing. Uh, okay, here's another fact for you. Oh, God. Okay, yeah, that's it. I'm going to fact explain to you. So remember we talked about uh, Baby Emma? Yes. Yeah, okay. So Baby Ben from Friends is Jughead on Riverdale. Oh, oh yeah, yeah so, somebody tweeted yes, that, didn't yes, they? Yes, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah which, that also freaked me out quite a lot. Can we take a second to talk about it? So now everyone's watched Call of Duty. Call of Duty. No, Line, of Duty. Line of Duty. It's not Call of Duty. Call of Duty is what one plays. One, one oh, God. James's worlds collide. It, it, it's yeah. true. Everyone has watched Line of Duty at this point, which we can now kind of, you know, without going into plots, just it's amazing. And I've yeah. seen the second one. I've seen the third one. Well, everyone will have seen the second Well, yes, I know the third one's there and I haven't watched it yet. The third but one is everyone there. will have seen the second one by the time we go out. Yeah. But we can finally say this is the thing that got me was the it's the it's the UCO in the OCG. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. many times you go, and now there's a UCO inside the OCG. Yeah, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. You do wonder I would love to see the uh the what do you call them? The outtakes where because yeah. you can't they can't they have said can't, that with a no. straight face every single time. Every time Ted serves someone a reg fifteen, you're like, come on! <laughs> there's a line of duty drinking game in this. There really is. I'm sure there, was, there is. There was a really annoying moment. I was listening to uh, on Five Live, uh, so I sometimes do TV reviews on. They were they were talking about line of duty, and the host was going on about OCG. He was just getting it wrong. So it was like. U O C O C O or something. It was getting all the U C O O C O. So he couldn't get to take down the yeah. O G. So he couldn't work out what the hell any of them meant because he was getting the wrong letters. So I, I had to te- I had to text. I had to go. Look, you're getting it all wrong. It's U C G. And then eventually, like, you're okay, it's not U C G. It's O C G. You're getting it wrong. Oh, <laughs> Oh, it's God. a UCO in an OCG. Yes, undercover officer, yeah. organised crime That's group. right. Uh, yes. While they take down H, who is, of course, the OG. Why yes. isn't it organised crime gang? Um, I don't know. Because they try and be professional yeah, group, and clinical. Yeah, group, and gang gang is a weighted term. Oh, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Organised yeah, crime yeah. group. Yeah. Mm. But can I just say, after having watched the third episode, he says, smugly, um, it definitely has, as they said, when we interviewed and everything, there has got a different feel. This whole... Um, undercover officer within the crime group. The whole crime group element gives it a very, very different feel. And, and, and even more as it goes on, like episode three, I felt was was very different thing mm. to Line of Duty. I'm and um, there's slightly more interesting things happening um, with Hastings, particularly like his private life and all that. It's really, really interesting. I'm obsessed with Ted. I think Ted oh, is the God. greatest television mm. creation in yeah. history. <laughs> he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. When he just goes off on one, oh. He's super. I've also it's got to the point now where we're in the, we're in the office and like someone sort of like does a mic drop moment. I keep waiting for the piano to go ding 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 <laughs> yeah. ding ding yeah. ding ding ding. I want my own personal line of duty. Well, he said I didn't float up the thingy on the. I didn't. A, was it float up the lagon on a balloon or something? <laughs> in a bubble. Like, I didn't float up the lagon in a bubble. Yeah. Up the lagon in a bubble. I mean that like, is the line of the series. Bless you, Ted. Now listen, now listen. I didn't float up the lagon on a bubble. Amazing. All right, all of which leads us into other funny things, specifically this week's Funny or Dire. And this week's offering comes courtesy of Annalena Dubafuller. I apologise for butchering your name. uh, Who proffers up Black Books Series 1, Episode 2, Manny's First Day. So for anyone who doesn't know, Black Books is a British sitcom from the minds of Dylan Moran and Father Ted's Graham Linehan, you know, before he got problematically militant on Twitter, (laughs) uh, about Bernard Black, the curmudgeonly proprietor of a cleverly titled Books Shop. Uh, Bill Bailey plays his kind of hapless assistant Manny and Tamsin Gregg stars as Fran who owns the shop next door now did both of you watch this episode yes oh good for you Boyd clearly hasn't. Well, I've watched the whole thing before. Well, so have I. Many but it was times. 20 years oh, ago, you? Boyd. Yes. Oh, okay. Back in the day when you actually liked comedy. So, full disclosure, I have seen this before because I've seen all oh. the Black Books, but it was two decades ago. So, I kind of feel like I'd forgotten it and hadn't really seen it since. So, I'd give it another whirl. Terry, what do you think? So, 
I thought a few things, and I did watch um, most of Black Books at the time, but I have yeah. never re- revisited it since. Fuck me, it's problematic. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the first thing you know, I mean, can we just say Tasman Greg is fucking amazing, and yeah. I've totally forgotten what a like force she was. Yeah. Um, the there are so many problematic things, that, and it's astonishing how quickly things change, right? Mm. And how quickly the world changes. So obviously, the whole thing is he is a raging alcoholic. So the whole bit when he offers him a job, forgets, remembers, forgets all of these things, which are symptomatic of him having a massive proper drinking problem. The fact that you know uh, he mistakes the old woman for him, him for the old woman, um, and. Also, like, the way they talk about when they talk about, oh, I thought you were gay um, because he was he cared about um, uh, cleanliness and then he goes, um, and lamps. And then he goes, I thought you were gay. And he was like, oh, I was, but I wasn't up for the hygiene and the dancing. And you're like, and I know it's like things, the world is different and times are different. But you you bounce from, like, riff to riff to riff, all of which are obviously arguably deconstructing tropes as much as reinforcing them but you're I kind of watched it a little bit through my fingers it, yeah right? it's, it's amazing how how comedy in particular ages dramatically yes. over time um I remember loving this at the time and kind of having it not quite on a par with space but being sort of up there and uh what re-watching this particular episode and it being less laugh out loud funny than I thought yes. it would be yes um I did enjoy it like I I'm a big fan of Dylan Moran, and I've seen him live a couple of times. Moran? Yeah, see, it, it is Dylan Moran. <laughs> is it? Oh, yeah. no. Oh, no, no it, here we go. Yeah. Oh, I think you're fine, Terry, that it is... Uh, uh, well, if Dylan, is Dylan one of your celebrity friends, Boyd? No, but... Well, see, someone <laughs> must be. No, I believe it's Dylan Moran, and the only reason I say that is because I've seen him live a few times, and he is introduced on stage as Dylan Moran, and you'd oh. think if that was not his name... Is it Graham Linehan? <laughs> it may have been, Is he yes. on Twitter? What, Dylan Moran? I think so. No. Think so. Let's ask it. Let somebody, can, can somebody <laughs> let us know how you Because we have a, a Joe Moran in our office. And obviously, yeah. you know Captain Moran. So, But I believe it's Dylan Moran. Oh. Anyway, Dylan. Anyway, Dylan's Dylan, Dylan, Dylan. Dylan. He's very, very funny live because he has that kind of uh, sort of curmudgeonly absurdist, almost surreal humour, which I find very, very enjoyable. It's just so over the top. And I've also seen Bill Bailey live a few times, and he's really funny too. So this this is something that I should obviously yeah. find hilarious. Uh, but all I, th- I found it was I thought I found it gently comic. All yeah. yeah, I think the whole tone is deliberately like yeah. that. it was definitely um I think the whole thing is bound up isn't it in Dylan Moran's um comedic persona. Do you know what I mean? Like more yeah. so if you're comparing it to space is a good point. So yeah. they are characters yeah. and and a situation very much created by the makers of that show whereas mm. this feels like it's b- totally bound up in his persona oh completely and for and to the point where I think he, I've seen him live as well and he's there is a certain gentleness isn't there to his performance and a, he's not like a big personality um, no. in that sense so I feel like it's that whole thing that Tony's established from him but I think yeah it's it's kind of it's, it's funny but he, not he gives an air of sort of sort of tolerating the audience presence at yeah. his gigs you know this sort of slightly right. resigned slightly reluctant thing it's yeah. good it's all part of his energy and yeah. it's really really funny uh, and I do enjoy him a lot on stage in fact I believe he was touring last year and I missed it which I would have liked to have seen but so but but having said that having said this is gently funny and not laugh out loud I did I did utter a laugh so it technically wins utter just once, a laugh once where? Where? there is a bit but you know when he goes off on a tear just a, a sort of misanthropic diatribe it's there's a theme here and clearly what mm-hmm. makes me laugh that actually made me chuckle because he he goes off the deep end and I, that's why I think he's I think yeah. Dylan Moran in particular and that character excel when they absolutely commit when he goes off the deep end and he just pushes the boat completely out and goes berserk I think that's when that's when this is at its best <laughs> What are you doing? I'm just a customer. Oh, yeah. 
Lunch! Where the hell is Fran? It makes me want to watch the rest of the show, actually, because I know there's loads of good stuff coming up, and, and Simon Pegg turns up in this as well. Uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. But, okay, well, so that's the verdict for that is funny. Uh, Funny-ish. Uh, well done, Annalena. Um, without further ado, should we get on to news? Can I make a suggestion for f- for Funny or Die, uh, James, make James laugh? Oh, good God. Whatever You're we're subverting calling it. the formula. Sorry. If we d- I, I understand it's probably a uh, uh, thing because we're going back in time slightly, but I would ask people to suggest um, a female-fronted comedy because everything we've done so far has been yeah, every, quite of that's an ilk, true. right? Every single thing yeah, has so, been fairly male oriented. Yeah. That is true. So yeah, I think true. to mix it up because James yeah. is a feminist, right James? Yes. Um, I think it would be really great to get something with a woman front and centre um, not as a sidekick to our James Dyer. Yeah. Roseanne? Roseanne, this week's challenge. Roseanne oh, maybe? Oh, oh. <laughs> I mean <laughs> maybe something else. Back in the day. <laughs> oh you know. Oh yes our weekly dose of She's massive gone. racism. <laughs> So put, say something like pulling or, you know. Never seen pulling. Never, se- Never seen pulling. Maybe pulling. Maybe if somebody, pulling. I'm not allowed to join this game because I'm on the podcast, but if anybody out there would like sure to Sure you are. You can suggest, suggest something. Boyd suggested the first one. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. Then I suggest pulling. Okay. All right. I will pulling. find you an episode. Find me an episode of pulling yes, and exactly. I shall watch that. I'm a big fan of Sharon Horgan, so, you know, this, this should go well. Hmm. Okay. Okay, good stuff. Now, uh, I've not had a chance to actually look at news this week, so we might just have to wing this as we go along. Uh, who's got what? Well, there's usually way too much news, isn't yes. there? So I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think we're about- okay. <laughs> I think we'll- I've got um, none. So. I'm, what I'm going to start with is, do you remember last week when Terry said, do we think there'll be a second season of Afterlife, Ricky Gervais' Afterlife? And, and it almost was as if by magic, yeah. a few days later, it was officially confirmed by Netflix there would be, and he's going to be writing it and directing it and making it this year, and it's going to go out um, next year. And we had the discussion about, is it is how is it going to work? Because it feels so self-contained. But I think it's exciting. I think it's good news. I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Yeah, and he said he's, he's like actually writing it right yeah. now, isn't he? Yeah. So um, um, hopefully the wait won't be too long. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, there's been a few bits and bobs about Damien Chazelle's oh, yeah. um, first telly project. So Netflix announced that. Andre Holland, who was um, in Moonlight, is the first bit of casting. Um, And it's, you know, it's very Damien Chazelle, right? So for those who don't know, it's called The Eddie. And it's um, obviously a musical. Um, It's set (laughs) in... Musical. It's set in modern day Paris. Uh, It's about a club. It's owner, um, the band. And it's all about the city of um, Paris. And you expect it to be very colourful and quite bombastic. Um, So that is exciting because I think um, he's a really interesting choice. And I think... Damien, what Damien Chazelle does cinematically on telly in some kind of episodic format, I think is a, a dead exciting prospect. I agree. Have you heard of Drake, James? This is my uh, is this, a, this week's um, a popular, popular music artist. This is popular music artist yeah. challenges. Have you heard of Drake? I have heard of Drake. Good. Well, this week, the Drake, as I'm calling him, <laughs> at his concert in London, showed a trailer of the new Netflix series Top Boy, which what? is kind of weird in itself. Yeah. So he, I, I'm assuming, before he didn't stop the concert halfway through, go, hold on, guys, let's watch this yeah. Netflix trailer. <laughs> I think he showed it before the main body of the concert, right. but. He is exec producer of The Return of Top Boy, which is a classic Channel 4 drama starring Ashley Waters. It was all about um, how young people in 
certain parts of London are drawn into the world of gangs and drug dealing and all of that. And it was a really smart, clever show. And Netflix mm. is bringing it back. And Drake is involved. This this very very famous uh, pop music man right. is return is is producing it. And so he showed this this uh, this trailer for it. It looks really good. And um, I'm excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be on later this year. And Ashley Waters is back with the same character, kind of like returning from being away for a period. And he wants to retain his power of being the kind of drug king of his local area. And it's going to be exciting. Okay. There you go. Did you hear that Umbrella Academy has been renewed for yes, season two? Yes, I did. Which I'm very pleased about. Because I've not finished watching that, and I was holding off a little bit, because I thought, if this doesn't get renewed, I don't want to watch <laughs> I don't want to watch the rest, because I can't invest the time. So if you watched the whole of the first season? No, no, I haven't finished it yet. Oh, no, right. But so now I'm, I'm going to plow oh, on with okay, it now. Okay, fine. Yeah, I gave up after like three episodes, I have to say. Well, oh, yeah, that's right. You two didn't like it, did you, miserable... No. Anyway, yeah, so that's been really... I'm still waiting to hear what's happening with The Passage, though. Because to the best of my knowledge, that has neither been picked up nor cancelled. We don't know what's happening with that. And Which one was that? The Passage. Yeah. You know, with the with the, the vampires and the post-apocalypse. Oh, and yeah, And the little yeah. girl. Oh, yeah, on Fox. Yeah. It was on Fox. Yeah. Wasn't it? yeah. But it's yeah. clearly stuck in your memory, but it's you really, really loved no, that. No, I did quite like it. All yeah. right. Well, that's a thing as well. I wanted to mention something in a slightly different take on news. Um... Uh, did you see the kind of kickback around this Jack the Ripper documentary, yeah. Yeah. Um, which uh, I watched kind of the first half of? So the BBC had announced last year they were doing this um, kind of new modern Jack the Ripper documentary, which would use kind of what they were calling a virtual reality essentially auto- essentially an autopsy table, right? So yeah. essentially kind of obviously the women of... of very 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 long dead but kind of looking at their injuries and things via this kind of vr process i don't quite get how it works but there's been a massive kickback on twitter quite rightly a lot of people saying it's really invasive it's really lurid that it kind of didn't show anything new and actually it's quite tone deaf um that the women who died didn't actually kind of you know really get their stories told properly um and it it raised a really interesting debate on twitter it's kind of things we've touched on in the past about using kind of women's murders and and the bodies of women for entertainment and where you draw the line and where it's actually just kind of invasive and crass and not really adding anything new or, or furthering any of the conversation on it. Um, did you see any of it, Bob? I haven't seen it, but I did. I, I was going to watch it, and I, I, I do know about it. And, I'm, and it was, it's interesting. I think it's interesting that, you've, first of all, you've shoehorned true crime into this bit of the uh, podcast. Yes, I've noticed that. It's very clever. <laughs> yeah. What did I say? It's an insidious yeah. take. It's really over. smart, yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's And I think... I think because it was, it was partly fronted by you know the actress from Silent Witness, yeah, Amelia Fox, Amelia which, Fox, which, really which is weird, yeah, which is in. weird. So the whole thing was definitely like you know true crime as entertainment, and and there is, I mean, there is a surfeit of this stuff now. Yeah. Oh, every every you week, you don't now. need to tell me yeah. about that, boy. I know. <laughs> so, but this, yeah, I think, but I think particularly the the way it de- the way it did or didn't deal with victims, I think it was very interesting. Yeah, and because there, there's this new book out, isn't there, about how yes. um, the Jack the Ripper weren't necessarily prostitutes, which yeah. is what they're often regarded. And those. the books are meant to be yeah. amazing. Yeah. Hang on, what we're saying, Jack the Ripper's victims weren't prostitutes. Yeah, this book is, 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 is... Really? Yes. I went on a tour of Whitechapel, a Jack the Ripper... It was a date, this is not a lie. I went on a date with someone on a Jack the Ripper tour of Whitechapel and it had uh, and the gimmick of this particular tour is they had a little projector and they would project lurid, murdered images on the walls where they happened. Oh. 
It was, it was yeah. quite well, yeah, I, mean, I did and, not enjoy it. And I think one of the criticisms here is that, you know, they've they've kind of, yeah, they emphasise that, oh, maybe they weren't hookers. Also, don't even get me started on what, so as long as you're a hooker, then it's okay yeah, to be slaughtered. Do you know what I mean? The yeah. fact that, that if, if a man pays me to have sex, that doesn't mean I get to get my throat slit. That's not the deal in society, people. Leaving that aside, um, it's the way they can doing a digital autopsy mm. and trying yeah, to, you know, the way you, the way they boiled it down to them, to their bodies, essentially. I can see why people found that dehumanising. There is an incredible level of Jack the Ripper. It's a whole industry, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Books, TV shows, tours. Yes, like that. tours, Tourists, dates, things, the dates. date industry. It, it, people are obsessed with it. I, should it, point I find out, it quite weird. I feel the need to assert the fact that going on this Jack the Ripper tour for the date was not my idea. Good. It's like, this is, this is not a thing that I do. Um, but yes, didn't Patricia Cornwell write a book yep, about this she did, as yeah. well? Yeah. Like, Ripperology is a whole oh, thing. It's massive. Absolutely yeah. massive, yeah. Which is, you know, it's interesting, yeah. Okay. Um, I had another bit of interesting bit of news about um, you know, Darren Starr's new show, The Creator of Sex in the City. Yeah, so he's written and created a new. It's going to be a half hour comedy, and Lily Collins is going to be the main star. Ooh. She's going to play. Oh, it's called. Emily in Paris, and she's a driven 20-something from the Midwest who moves to Paris for a job opportunity. And the series is filming now. That's that sounds highly original. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You were excited when you went I know, I but, you know. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, but you can, just because girl from the Midwest goes to Paris as yeah. opposed to girl from the Midwest yeah. goes to New York, yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's, it's not entirely uh, original. It's been a week of jokers this week. Not only on the Empire Podcast do we talk about the new uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker yes. film, but Cameron Monaghan's Joker has been revealed in Gotham. There was a trailer that came out which showed so the going. Joker from King Gotham is just about still limping along. Wow. But the Joker from that is quite, quite horrific if you if you watch the, uh, the trailer. He's a scary Joker. Do you not watch a funny Gotham? Joker. Do you watch Gotham? I watched the first one. First it, episode. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I but the thing is, I'm I'm very much of the belief, and I know that Gotham isn't technically part of the CW DC TVU. It is standalone, isn't that right, Terry? Yes, James. But I just there's too many. There's too much. I can't do it. I can't keep track. So I don't. Yeah, fair enough. At all. Yeah. And that is that is news. But before we end news, we should probably mention that you know, much as we hate to admit it, there are other podcasts available. First and foremost, of course, the Empire Film Podcast, the greatest film podcast. Uh, also out this week, the latest instalment of Q presents the making of, going behind the scenes of great musical acts and oh, who, discussing. Who is it you things. haven't heard of this week? Well, it's funny you should mention Boyd. Uh, this week's guest on. Q presents the making of is Fat White Family. Oh, love Fat yes. White Family. How do you know what this is? I saw them at the Hundred Club. I mean, you yourself presumably are ago. part of uh, uh, well, the a white, fat family. white Family. Hold on, <laughs> hold on. Do you want to explain wow. that first bit? Bold words. Because they, they share your surname. And oh. the fat bit. Well, it's, I don't know. It's, do you I've think I'm fat? No. Not even a beat there. Could I just say I'm very well trained? Um, <laughs> no. Um, could I just say no? The, the connection there was simply the surname, mm-hmm. just White Family. Just you know, <sighs> yeah, digging the, the hole. Non, the non-fat White Family. The, not, that's exactly what I, I mean. Was to saying. be fair, the, the semi-skimmed the White Family of the wet, of the Fat White Family are also skinny. Why are they called the Fat White Family? No, it's quite. It's just quite a good name. And no, but actually, looking at this, they're not called the Fat White Family. They're oh. just called Fat White Family. Oh uh, yes, yes. So it's is them point. them casting aspersions on others rather than self-identifying. 
No. What? Anyway. Uh, what is happening? Q Presents the Musical features Fat White Family this week. If you have indeed heard of this popular beat combo, then you might want to listen to it. Uh, all of which takes us back to our podcast and specifically this week's guest. Aidan Gillen stopped by the podcast to talk about his new UFO-centric show, Project Blue Book, with Boyd, and also reminisce about working with David Simon on The Wire and Queer as Folk, which is 20 this year. Welcome, Aidan Gillen, to the Pilot TV podcast. We're talking about Project Blue Book, this fascinating true character that you play, Dr. Hynek, who really did go and investigate UFOs back in the day. Was that, was that part of the appeal, that, to play the real person who was doing something pretty extraordinary like that? Uh, well, with real-life stories, they take turns that you can't really make up, you know, so uh, they're always really interesting characters. It's something I've done a lot in the last uh, 10 years. Um, probably like my sixth, I think, real life person. It's also, you know, we've got a bit of leeway here. Heineck is known in certain circles, but not, you know, on a global scale. It wasn't. So um, it's nice to be able to bring his life story to a big audience and uh, also gets you off the hook a little bit. And extraordinary uh, career. You know, one of the... Um, Articles I'd read about it's fin- finished airing in America recently, and somebody was referring to Heineck, who I was thinking of as a thoughtful scientist, uh, as a UFO hunter, which I quite liked. And it's not, it's not, that's not what we're doing. It's not Indiana Jones with UFOs, but I just quite liked it because somewhere in there, that is what's going on. And to, sp- especially towards the end of his career, in the latter part of his career, um, and you know, a good part of his time with the Air Force, he was working as an outsider from the inside. And hunting, yeah. And I thought it's interesting. Quite early on in the first episode, when you're, you're talk- there's a scene where you're talking to your wife, and you you describe yourself as eccentric. I am eccentric. Yeah. And there is a certain, there is a kind of fun feel to him, even though he's a scientist and he's doing something quite important. There is there's a kind of I feel like a like a cheeky quality to him. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, you know, he's a professor in a midwestern university. Um, he has a quirk to him, and the real uh, Heineck did. You know, he wore sporty, quite beatnicky um attire, you know, particularly in the uh the years we haven't reached yet, you know, in the latter, you know, mid to late fifties. Um he has a boyish, impish quality to him for sure. And um that's something that does become apparent more so as we go on actually. And you know, the more things he sees that he can't explain, we see that that's what really excites him is the notion that maybe there is um, something beyond reason. Um, Not that a craft coming from another planet is, or another galaxy is beyond reason. It's just so unlikely. It is very unlikely. And it's fascinating. I was was intrigued that he was genuinely involved in, dis- in, in describing Close Encounters and he was involved with the film, Close Encounters, mm-hmm. which is my, one of my favourite films of all time. Mm-hmm, me too. I mean, that, must, that, that kind of adds an interesting element to it, doesn't it, that he actually Absolutely. was advising... He's even in the film, isn't he, briefly? He's in the film briefly. Um, he was technical advisor on the film. He had... Um, he himself had come up with the Close Encounters categorizations, you know, the the terminology, close encounters of the first kind, second kind, third kind, and fourth kind, actually. So, and yes, Spielberg had read those, some of his books, which had inspired him to make the film, which was a huge film for me also growing up. So coming full circle like that was uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think we were of a similar age. I remember seeing it like five times in the first few weeks. It came I saw out it a good few times. And it was the first, I think it was the first film I saw on my own in the right. cinema. Yeah. And I was probably expecting something along the lines of Star Wars, yes. which is, you know, the biggest film in the world then. It was, uh, you know, but the fact that the first, I don't know, 20 minutes of it scared me so much, like a horror film, and then you got seduced by the... Yeah. Um, ideas you know in there and it's just the, the imagery thing is something that's quite important i mean you know, whoever um first you know drew pictures of these things that people uh described and you know this was um something that of course was picked up by the movies and television and the art directors who then you know went a little further with that you know it, they came up with such a beautiful uh artwork yeah around this um phenomenon that it's one of the things I think that's provided it's enduring it with its in, enduring um, attraction, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it was also Project Blue was also mentioned in Twin Peaks. I remember as well, wasn't it? I don't know. Was yeah, it? I think it was. It was part. It was like part of the explanation of what the kind of Black Lodge and how there were these mm. weird beings that arrived in that place. I think that was referenced. And what I was going to mention about Twin Peaks is that feels like part of you know the first era of of. Peak TV of cinematic, yeah, that's what I thought deep dive too. TV, yeah. and this feels like part of that. The way it's shot, the way it's made, it's very cinematic. Do you feel this is part of that wave of of cinematic television? Um, yeah, it's good that you said Twin Peaks because that's what I always say when I'm asked. You know, people tend to go, "Okay, so The Sopranos onwards," um, but I always thought it was Twin Peaks yeah. onwards. Um, it certainly has a cinematic feel to it. I think with this subject, it has to. It has yeah. to look great, and something that's set in 1952 has to at least look like it's been shot on film, you know, even if it hasn't. Um, production design on this and production values generally were, um, you know, really high. Robert Zemeckis' company was kind of be behind it in a, you know, the, in, you know, behind the overall um, production, mm -hmm. including the look and feel, etc. So all the heads of production were top notch and, um, I just think it's necessary for this kind of drama for it to look beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, um, yeah I'm quite aware of that too. And I thought they did a great job. Yeah. Did Robert Zemeckis, did he, was he quite hands-on in the process? Not really. I think he's hands-on as far as script goes and overall story and hiring of people and, you know, that kind of godfather role. Um, I, you know, I saw him two or three times. Talking of uh, TV, you've, you've been in... I would say a handful of absolutely all-time classic shows. If I can mention, it's twenty years since Queer as Folk, mm -hmm. first of all. Yeah. How do you, looking back at that experience, does that feel as historic a thing to be involved in um, at the time? Did it feel like that at the time that it was going to be incredible? It kind of did. I mean, um, well, I, I knew it was going to get noticed, um, but I could tell that from reading the script because the, the words that were coming to mind were like incendiary, or this is kind of like a, a bag of fireworks that you could set off here, you know. Um, so, uh, and knowing, you know, the impact it had and the amount of people that watched it and the, the amount of conversations I still have with people, you know, about it, like all the time, that, that uh, it's certainly got a place, you know, it's earned a place in there in the pantheon of television or drama. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's, it's more than that. So that's kind of important. Uh, yeah, I do feel I was working in Manchester recently and um, I hadn't been there that much in between. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of chilling, you know, walking down some of those streets and parts of the apartments we were living in and stuff, because it's changed a lot, and we've changed a lot, and uh, it's 
20 years seems like a long time. Yeah, yeah. But it felt to me like not only the subject matter, but actually the way it was shot. Even, you know, it felt like a kind of slick, almost had American quality to it. And, and Russell T. Davis's script was incredibly witty and pacey. It felt like as a TV, as a TV show, as important as it was as what it was saying oh, yeah, about yeah. the subject. I mean, it was slick. Um, and uh, I suppose what had most appealed to me was its panoramic view mm. of a city. You know, of course, it concentrated on three or four or five main people who were all kind of living in the same world. But, you know, just the way it broke further than that and they showed their families and their work and the city itself. There's a guy writing about the world yeah. he knows um, and, you know, not worrying about um, anything, yeah. <laughs> which is another one of its uh, appeals, you know. Yeah, it was character, you know, there was stuff going in there. There was stuff going on. There was stuff happening in there that just wouldn't. You just couldn't. You couldn't make it, and you wouldn't. You know, it's got an inappropriate relationship at its center. But you know, the the younger guy in that, it's it's a lifesaver. And I'm thinking of the Wire, um, which you're in three seasons of. Do, was what was working with David Simon like? I mean, he still feels like this kind of great man had a historic role in the creation of some of the greatest TV out there, including yeah. that series. It's fantastic, you know, um, apart from being a great writer, he's just a great political thinker. Um, they're so down to earth, you know, my whole experience there was, uh, I can't imagine my life without it. And I, I was, again, keenly aware when we were in Baltimore uh, shooting that, and it was kind of over a three year period that I was there. Um, yeah, there was days when I could just, uh, I wasn't literally pinching myself, but, you know, I knew how lucky I was <laughs> to be there and to have the opportunity to get into, you know, to discover a little bit more about American politics and society um, in the company of people who really care about it and can really write about it. It was, uh, you know, just a special time um, and a real gift. And it feels even more relevant than ever to me that, that the way it showed the influence of the media and on politics and vice versa and the corruption and the, the ruthlessness of politics, I guess, feels even more relevant now than ever. Yeah. I mean, it's always been ruthless, but it's become just a little bit more um, apparent now exactly mm. how ruthless or brutal or shameless it is. That was Aidan Gillen and Project Blue Book, which is currently airing on Sci-Fi UK. Which is, yeah, Sci-Fi Wednesdays 9 o'clock, James. Wednesdays we 9 o'clock. Specify. Yes, it's we should polite. specify. I believe Sci-Fi will appreciate us yes. being precise on that. Shall we hurl ourselves bodily into this week's reviews? God, yes. Yes, we okay. shall. Okay, right, fine. First up is The Widow, which comes to ITV a full month after the rest of the world saw it on Amazon Prime. Did you know that, Boyd? Um, uh, no, I didn't know that. It's co-production. Interesting. Yeah, it's co-production everywhere else. Beginning that is March. weird. Yeah. That's weird. So uh, okay. everyone else knows what happens. Yeah. Uh, but this series stars Kate Beckinsale as the widow in question, whose husband was killed in a plane crash over the Congo, or oh, was, was he? he? Boyd. <laughs> was well, it? tell us. Spoil this it. is um, no, he wasn't. Uh, this <gasps> is no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm assuming. I, I'm assuming. This is the it latest. It would be much of a series if you were Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is the latest um, creation of the Williams brothers, who are so hardworking. Not only, like, we've just watched Baptiste, the eight hour. Are they Baptiste? Yes, they were Baptiste. Which was a sequel, a kind of spin off yeah, of, you know, The, the missing. missing. Yeah, yes, and of they did another thing last year. They, they, I mean, 
I'm about to use the word churn them out, but that is that sounds that sounds like I'm slagging them off. But they work incredibly hard, and I do think they are master storytellers. So, you know, I love the storytelling of Baptiste, the mm. widow, and I, and this is this is a slightly different turn for them, I would say, in that I think you know there is a missing person in it. There's is he dead or isn't he dead? But this feels slightly more exploring a world. It's set in the a lot of it's set in the Congo where the husband disappeared, and we don't really know what he was doing. There's depictions of child soldiers mm. um, being exploited. There's kind of all kinds of interesting stuff about white people, you know, in um, African countries, and there's a, there's a whole kind of interesting set. One of the characters has a massive um, house mansion, and it's totally guarded. I thought it was very kind of smartly. It's it's very aware of the fact this is about white people getting embroiled in the in the politics of an African country, the Congo. And it is a mystery as well. So I like the fact there are more elements to it than possibly I was expecting, and it does feel like something fresh and new. And I thought it was very nicely filmed, nicely directed. And Kate Beckinsale, I absolutely love, and I think she's great in it. Yeah, she so is. I'm going to carry on watching. I will say that I didn't have high hopes for this, if only because in the first four minutes of the film, there's an incredibly overly dramatic shot where Kate Beckinsale falls over. And it's just like, and you think, oh, what's happening? And then you think, no, no, she's literally just fallen over. She's but it, hiking in the, in the highlands yeah, or whatever. But it's edited as if it's like this fatal fall over a precipice and she yeah, has just true. fallen down on the ground yeah. and cut her leg. She needs a lot of stitches, though. Yeah. She does need a lot of stitches. I'm not saying she didn't hurt herself, but there she literally are, fell um, over. But there are moments of melodrama, right? And yeah. I think oh, that's yeah. there are there are things like that which which kind of let it down in terms of. I mean, I love a formulaic thriller <laughs> slash mystery, as we all know. Um, I love my procedurals, but um, it. I mean, the pedigree is great. Charles Dance is in it, being all Charles Dancey. Oh, very Charles Dance. The most I mean, Charles Dance. Peak Dance, but. It. I mean, I have to say, Kate Beckinsale is is a great actress, but this is potentially not her finest moment throughout. I think it's really solid in lots of ways, but I don't think it's particularly memorable for anything really. I think there are some interesting points. There was a, there's a moment with. Uh, two child soldiers in the first episode that yeah. was actually really affecting yeah. and I was like fuck this is yeah. maybe not what I thought it was but o- overall it it just felt a little thin in places and some of the performances weren't kind of full of that much power yeah. as I say it, it, it was, uh, there wasn't anything necessarily wrong with it I just think I think we're in an age where we have so much remarkable telly where thrillers if you think about the world that this is coming out into with fucking line of duty and yeah. and we're all waiting for killing eve coming back and i think there is we're in such a wealth of brilliant um telly even in those traditional areas that have been a bit pulpy or haven't been, had as much kind of dramatic quality behind them i think we're in a really different place and i think this three years ago would have been, oh, yeah, yeah, this is really oh, unusual, really this. great. But mm. I think it's in such a different world now that, for me, it's it's hard. I'm not going to go back and keep watching it and, and invest my further time in it no. when there's so much other brilliant stuff out there. I agree with you 100% with this. Like, it, it, it's it's fine. It's good. Like, and the, as you said, the child soldier stuff is quite effective. But, I mean, it's not beasts of no nation, is it? Do no. you know what I mean? It's good. It's not great. And the story is like, oh, it's quite interesting, but it's not brilliant. And I think, you know, if this had aired 10 years ago, it would have absolutely been something where every Everyone was talking about yeah. it and everyone was watching it. But as you say, we live in a time when there is so much AAA television that sort of B-grade television, while fine, just, 
you can't fit it into your schedule. You know, I don't yeah. have the time to watch this. And, you know, there are some very obvious beats. There's, you know, when they discover, oh, the slightly shifty, dodgy character is maybe not who we thought he was. Like, no shit. We've yeah. been paying attention. <laughs> it's not that subtle. No, places, it's not. It? The uh, side part, and, that's, and I think it's probably going for a slightly different audience, right? So I think yeah. there's a, it's probably going for a broader audience. But then I think... Line of Duty manages to pull in and Bodyguard manages to pull in massive numbers. This isn't, you don't need to dumb stuff down in any sense to get the figures. So I I think, I don't know if there's a bit of confusion about the audience it's going after. There's certain bits of it which definitely feel like we're going to make this so clear so you really understand what's happening. We're not just going to let the signposting do it. We're then going to have somebody explicitly say, show you a picture and like hold a massive sign to the camera with block capitals on it. I think think there are moments when you don't give the audience enough credit for their intelligence. Yeah, there's a line in it. I agree. I I liked it more than YouTube, but there is there were one or two just one or two lines that were so clunky so there's one I think there's one where um, Alex Kingston came. Alex, Alex yeah. Kingston yeah. is yeah, like exactly, and she right? says to her associate when um, Thee pops out of the room she doesn't know about I know. that I mean, I'm, I'm only slightly paraphrasing and then no and he yeah. goes and he just stares at her and they yeah. leave this shot they just zoom in yeah. on his face and the shot lasts four seconds where yeah. he literally raises one eyebrow and goes oh. they might as well have had an organist off camera just going dun yeah, dun yeah. Yeah. I think audiences are more intelligent these days yeah. and I think and they probably always have been and I yeah. think certain TVs raise the bar for them and, and they're not used to, I'm not used to being spoon fed things quite so much anymore but there is an interesting subplot involving lube really from Sherlock <laughs> trying to get her sight back and okay. a whole sight back yeah, thing which I don't yeah. know how I was like yeah. well uh, it yeah. seems quite right but I I'm mean, interested in that I'm going to carry on watching I don't care what you say. Well, good for you. I we don't d- know how you like, got the Yeah, time. let me be clear. I didn't hate... Well, no, no, as no, I say, no. I think it's... I, I think it's You'd fine. absolutely recommend your nan watch it. Yes. Ooh. My nana would have loved this yeah. if she wasn't dead. <laughs> well, then she probably won't enjoy it as much. But, you know, uh, yes. So that is... I wouldn't send this up to heaven for her. Do you know what I mean? If I'm going to send her one teleprogram... <laughs> That's not the box that you heaven choose. ...to heaven this week, I'm not going to send her this. Right, so there you go. That's the Terry's dead nan recommendation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> perhaps a new segment. Or maybe not. The Widow airs on ITV on Monday the 8th at 9pm. Or if you live anywhere but England, you've already seen it. Um, We quite liked it. Next up is another The. It is The Victim. This is a BBC One four-part drama starring Kelly MacDonald, John Hanna and James Harkness and involves a mother whose son was murdered, a juvenile perpetrator whose name was withheld and what happens 15 years later when the name of the perpetrator is supposedly revealed uh who exactly the victim is being part of the subject of this show i'll be honest i expected to have zero time for this whatsoever and became obsessed with it within about 15 minutes so much so that i had no plans to watch any more than the first one i've already watched the first two i'm absolutely watching the second two this weekend this is really good like it's so compelling and so nuanced and so I think morally challenging. Not in a way, mm. not that other shows aren't morally challenging, but, you know, the expression here about who is the victim and how it manipulates your emotions. So on the one side, you've made up your mind and then your mind changes because you're never sure whether this character of Craig is in fact Eddie J. Yeah. Turner, the juvenile murderer. And whether he is or isn't affects the way you're, you're understanding each scene because it's played out from from the mother of the murdered child's point of view, Kelly McDonald, and it's played out from his point of view. And it, he's, got a, he's got a wife, he's got a child, he has his own life. We don't know whether it's him or not. He's incredibly, incredibly socially awkward to such an extent that he almost radiates guilt. Mm. So whether he did or didn't do it, he 
he acts like a guilty person so much so that his friends, his colleagues all start to reject him. And you have a real sense of sympathy for him. And then you have to question, would I have that sympathy and I haven't finished the show yet, so I don't know how it goes, if I know that he's done it, and should, whether he's done it or not, affect the fact that this man was attacked in his own home uh, because someone released his name. I mean, right from the moment, I think it's so so skillfully done. So it sets it up, and you think within the first five minutes you know what's going to happen. It's a courtroom, and Kelly MacDonald is there... Um, and he is there, and you think that she's the victim. That's what you do, because yeah. that is what is set up in crime dramas. And he looks proper dodgy. Over and over again, and he looks proper dodgy. They're both clearly nervous, and you immediately think, and then they call her name, and you realise that she is actually on trial. And as it unfolds, as you say, they do it so perfectly, not just with their characters. And I have to just say, every time I see Kelly MacDonald on the telly, I so want to see her. I think she is one of... I, the fact she hasn't had mm. a massive A-list Hollywood movie career, A, pleases me because they'd ruin her, but also <laughs> it surprises me because she is remarkable. Mm. She's a remarkable actor, but matched by John Hannah, right? Who Because that sense of who's right and who's wrong, who's victim and who's guilty actually extends to the peripheral characters yes. as well. So John Hannah, at one moment, you completely see everything from his perspective. At the other moment, you can't bear him. Um, where he sits m- morally really intersects with it all and then as you were saying it reminds me of Broadchurch in this sense there were moments where there were moments in Broadchurch where because Broadchurch was about who'd killed this kid and all the way through it's it's leading you to think they have and they haven't and they and they push you around on the same character this does the same thing where you are not sure you'll see something which makes you think one thing and your emotion and you lurch yeah, you lurch from one side and to the then other. the next scene they undo that work and as you say it becomes about even if he is the child killer, does that mean he's now has to pay for it? Um, and what does that mean for his does child? Does mean for his you know, child and his the wife? The cutest kid, you know. His wife and his life. Yeah. It is so brilliantly written, staged, yep. everything about it. And you mentioned John it. Hanna, and I love the fact that, you know, you think, oh, it's John Hanna, we love a bit of John Hanna, and he comes in, so you naturally gravitate towards him as your moral compass early on. You think, well, John Hanna won't steer me wrong. And then, obviously, revelations come out about his character and yep. why he approaches the situation the way he is, and you realise that he comes from his own bias, yep. which is what makes him so black and white about it. And then you think, well, if you can't trust John Hanna, what's going on with the world? I know. it's um, And they're showing it for... Consecutive nights, yes. right, Boyd? Yes, it's it's a it's a BBC TV drama event, no less. Yes. Monday to Thursday, Monday to nine Thursday. o'clock, and I think there is one nine p.m. I think you know f- for the reason that it is so riveting and mm. it is such and it is it really pays off watching it. I think watching the whole thing in one big go, night after night, rather than spread it out because. Yeah, because it's precisely from what you're saying, that you don't know which way it's going for each yeah. character, and all of that works really well, I think. So I think they've scheduled it very well. I mean, I think particularly, I, I was impressed by John Hannah because I remember I mentioned a few weeks ago A Touch of Cloth, the which <laughs> yeah. is a comedy yeah. spoof of cop shows, and in that he's hilarious as as a detective. And in this, I had to kind of banish all memory of that. <laughs> and he does very, very well in making this a kind of believable, realistic character. I found now, I have one criticism. I thought the scene in episode one, where he goes to the the bar and sees his ex. Yes, and they establish that there's something dodgy going on, and he's not supposed to be in, within yeah. any any space. I found that scene a bit clunky. Yeah, because that scene was like a bit of felt like it was a bit from something different, and that did slightly take me out of the realism. It was very clumsy. It, it was, was quite no clumsy. Yeah, yeah. So that I, was one I, scene that that, that that I would criticize, but, but the rest but of I it. Why didn't you like? I tell you what, I liked okay. about it because there was a hint because they'd said there'd been a hint earlier that the, he has issues with women. Yes, when he walks into the bar and she says. 
when will you learn that when a woman says no, she means no? And then she disappears. So that all that did, it, it made the mystery deepen for me as to what is his problem and what is what is this thing he has with women and does that feed into how he's assessing her and her guilt? Oh, yeah, yeah. I just felt it was a bit clumsy. I think it's probably obvious. Yeah. It probably came down to the fact that they have an awful lot to cover and I thought we've got a character... Because I suppose it does what you need to do. It conveys an awful lot of emotional context in a very short period of time. It doesn't do it very subtly, but I guess for the sake of pacing, maybe yeah, that was, sure. that was but necessary. But that's, that's literally the only scene mm. that didn't feel yeah. absolutely 100% real and it's, in the whole thing. there's so much portent to this that because it, it flits in timelines constantly between the trial and the events leading up to the trial and obviously at trial you know Craig is there with a very nasty scar going down his face which of course is not present so you know that things are not going to go yeah. well for him and it's only going to escalate yeah we should say James Harkness as Craig who um, is probably the least famous of the yeah. trio is phenomenal he's yeah. really he's so really good, good. Yeah. and I, I think it's just a genius stroke to make him a really and one his friend says you know I've known him for 10 years and he can only just about have a conversation with me so it's very hard for him to express. You think, you know, were I in this situation, I would, of course, do this yeah. and this. But he's so socially awkward that he finds it really, really hard to kind of navigate this this territory. That he's in. But also, you know, it, it examines things as a bit with his wife where they say, how well do you know your yeah, husband? Yeah, and, she says, yeah. and she says, how well do we ever know anybody? Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. I watched this at <laughs> yeah. six in the morning, right? And it was like, gave me a massive existential crisis for the day. I was like, bloody hell, she's right, because how much do we know anybody? Yeah. We know what people choose to tell us. Yeah. It fundamentally speaks to human relationships and the fact that we are all isolated individuals mm. who only ever connect with people as much as we allow ourselves to. But it, it, it is it's, it's, it's a God. very Sorry, fair, boy. No, but it's a very fair point. Like, yeah. like people, when they always talk about serial killers, oh, we never knew. He seemed like such a nice boy. Because people never really know, no. do they? So no. you don't know. And, and I think that's the most affecting part of this, is seeing his wife start to doubt and seeing her start to ask could he be this person and if he is this person does this fundamentally change how I feel about it? Because who is he then? Yeah, who do I really know this person? And obviously it's interesting because it's a crime committed by a juvenile so then you've got the whole other element of how much does that you know, yeah. affect who he is as an adult or, you know, oh, lo- lots to unpack here, lots yeah. to unpack, yeah. very complex, very layered, heartily recommend it. The Victim, beginning Monday the 8th yes. at 9pm on uh, BBC One. Monday to Thursday. And we should Monday say Rob Williams is the creator. Yeah, right so he, no, he he wrote uh, some of the Man in the High cast. He also wrote an episode of Killing Eve. Did, did you know really? that? Yes, yeah. he did. Uh, he also used to write uh, DCI Banks, which I really liked. <laughs> <laughs> That's a banshee for another time, that, that is. is. I good. love it DCI Banks. banshee for another time. I, um, I mainlined all of DCI DCI Banks wow. one Christmas just binge the whole I thing. I interviewed DCI Banks once. Did you? Yes. Oh, amazing. Yeah. How jealous he is. Yeah, I, I I got obsessed with that show. Right, that was the victim. Finally, this week is Don't Forget the Driver. Now, this is a show that's not about Brexit, was conceived before Brexit, never mentions Brexit, and was deliberately intended to air directly after Brexit's original date before it got delayed. So it has nothing to do with Brexit, except that it's a show that's absolutely about Brexit and stars Toby Jones as a Bognor Regis coach driver who makes regular trips taking kind of rowdy uh, Brits to France for duty-free stuff. However, finds himself in the situation of taking home an asylum seeker who stows away on his coach during one particular trip. Which, on the face of it, you know, suddenly reading the the synopsis, you think, is this this is a bit home-like? But it isn't. No, exactly. It's, but it does have that theme in common. Interestingly, yeah. they also they never use the word Brexit. In the no, they, they never use the word asylum seeker. No, they don't. She's a woman who has has clearly stowed herself away in the luggage compartment of this coach. Yeah, and 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 she's clearly 
they're dodgy people involved with her. And he there's is a trafficking element, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, there's a trafficking yeah. element. But it's, it's, very, it's all very light touch. And the whole thing, um, the way it touches on the themes of Brexit and the touches on the themes, of, again, as to what um, Terry was saying about individuals, isolated individuals, and people trying to find their way in the world and trying to find some kind of community. All of those themes are touched upon, but in a very, lo- very smart, clever low. I love this. I mean, I love Toby Jones anyway. He can pretty much do no wrong. And um, so he was in The Detectorist, which is Detectorist, rather, which is one of... A lot of people love that show. It's, it's got this kind of gentle, a seemingly gentle element to it, but and yet actually packed quite an emotional punch. I feel this is a, s- a similar kind of tone, but perhaps slightly more overtly comedic, slightly more... His character is really funny. There's a, he's also got a twin who he Skypes with in Australia, who's yeah. obnoxious twat, <laughs> and that's quite funny. I really like the relationship with his daughter, who's kind yeah. of like, you know, doesn't really get on with him and finds him slightly embarrassing i i I really like the format of it where he's taking these people on these coach trips and they and i find all found all that really really entertaining and interesting i really like it and it's shot by the way so it's set in bogner regis this um beautiful seaside town but the way it's filmed it makes it look beautiful it makes it it really uses that location really really well so it can make it's not just some half hour kind of shoddily made comedy i think there is it's a really 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 nicely shot piece of work i think it's great yeah, we should also mention that it's uh, kind of what what kicks this off is the discovery of uh, a body on oh, yeah. a beach, which yeah. is which is essentially clearly uh, someone as asylum seeker who's drowned at sea and washed up on the beach. But it's never really no. fully, you know, it's not explicit. It's all very implied, and yeah. this is what I found interesting about this. Where, as you say, it's at once overtly comedic to the point where it's really not the kind of comedy I like. With the his obnoxious co bus driver, which I found intensely irritating, like not my sense of humour at all. But beneath that very sort of crass, obvious humour is a real layer of kind of darkness. There's a real yeah. tragedy to this, just in terms of that character, his environment, and the broader situation that he finds himself in. So it's actually quite. It made me really sad, actually. Like it didn't make me laugh. I came out of it feeling quite down i i loved this loved it loved it loved it. i mean you know it's it opens up in bognor regis and you think you know what it's going to be and as you say there's a body on the beach and he is the most normal of normal men but he's in this town that is shot beautifully i think we have to mention jamie kearney who's the dp who has done a remarkable job. I mean, there are some single shots in this. There's one in the kitchen and then, I mean, the set dressing as well is impeccable, but there's one on the seafront where a a woman in a mobility scooter just moves a lot and it just holds that shot. And I think, and that this is one of the reasons we're talking about it is because when when I saw it, I was like, this is like cinematic. Mm. It's so weird, but it shouldn't be when you look at the synopsis and it's essentially about, you know, it is about a decaying... Britain about those seaside towns that have been left to rot essentially that faded glamour you know 50 60 70 years ago kind of places where people would go to holiday and probably you know not that kind of deprived an area now it's as you say it's there's a underlying sadness and misery mm. stitched into every scene of this show which doesn't I found it quite a difficult watch at times because it is quite and you that live tone. on misery and, so but that tone it, Tim Crouch who who co-wrote it with Toby Jones is a playwright and I think you you feel that in the dialogue it feels not in a in a way that it's stagey or anything but it is the writing is really precise um and the whole thing is staged brilliantly uh, and as you say, it is interesting because it's clearly about Brexit. It's clearly about our country and where it is and where the people within it are in and about Middle England. Um, and 
they don't ever say the B word. And I think actually that not happening is really good because mm. it, it would easily, and I'm glad I know it was scheduled to go out around when we were due to leave. And I'm kind of glad it didn't in a way because I don't think it needs those gimmicks. I think mm. it stands for itself and you understand what it's trying to say. And he's trying to find his place in the world. We're all trying to find our place in the world. Um, and yeah, I really, really love this. Um, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And it's Don't Forget the Driver, which airs on BBC Two April the 9th at 10pm. My pick of the week this week would, of course, be The Victim. I'm going for Don't Forget the Driver, yeah. Don't Forget the Driver from Boyd. Too. Oh, you're both drivers. Yeah. yeah. Wow, OK. Well, I'm I'm, do bo- I mean, do if both. you yeah, can, sure. do, both. do both. Both are worth your time. Yeah, consecutive nights so they don't clash and, you know, go for it. Right, we just just about have time for a, for a quick banshee. This, of course, being the segment for those joining us where we pull out a sh- classic show that we love and recommend it. Uh, Terry, what <laughs> nonsense do you wish to talk about this week? Um, you're going to like this one. Oh, God. So I want to say Orange is Not the Only Fruit, oh. which was a three-part BBC television drama. Have you read the book, James? I was about to say, this is based on a book, isn't it? It's the book. Jeanette Winterson book. Heard of the book. <laughs> Never read it. Don't know what it's about. <laughs> it is. It was just basically semi-autobiographical. It's about a young girl growing up in a very religious household um, in Lancashire um, who is a lesbian and is discovering her sexuality. It's about her relationship with her mum mainly. Um, it was. Um, it's been, you know, one of the greatest books written by a British woman, in my opinion. Um, and Jeanette Winston wrote the screenplay. Um, it starred Charlotte Coleman, Geraldine McEwen, um, and it doesn't strict. I'm not sure it strictly meets the rules of Banshee because it's not a full classic television series, That's but fine. it is a three part serial drama. And if you haven't read the book, I can't be asked to read the book, then read this. Wow. Watch this. That's, that's speaking to millennial audiences right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 How do you feel about a 1970s um, <laughs> drama about a young lesbian girl um, that probably in these days looks... Ma- I don't know if it stands up. I haven't watched it in a few years. So Terry would like to maybe recommend, she's not entirely sure. Probably <laughs> recommend Oranges Are Not The Only Fruit. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think that's total, total banshee. Oh, it, well, I remember watching it at the time. It was great. Yeah. Mm. What have you got, Boyd? I've gone for. I'm on a slight kind of Channel Four role. So last week I did Teachers, and I was just looking around at all four. And they've got some brittle classic Channel Four series, Misfits, which was actually on E4 and was kind of ahead of its time. So this, I, I love Misfits. Yeah, 2009 it started, and it was about a group of young offenders thrust together on community service who all got supernatural powers. So it's kind of like a superhero thing, a teen thing. Um, but it was very stylishly done. It had a great cast. Um, Introduced the world to Robert Sheehan and Ewan Leon. Ewan Leon, exactly. And Lauren Social was in it, who's brilliant mm. in everything she does. Nathan Stewart Jarrett is also great. Joseph Gilgan, who's like Maverick, This Is England star, who's fantastic in everything he is, who was in Thingy, wasn't he? It's been renewed this week on Netflix. Yes. The, the, yeah, umbrella, the umbrella Academy. Academy yes. There you go. Um, his bonkersness, because I mean, he is so bonkers. Well, that also... have you seen the interviews with him recently? Because yeah. it seems to be bleeding over into real oh, life. Oh, completely. But I think it always ha- he's always been an incredibly maverick figure. And that all began in his performance in Misfits, which is astonishing. So yeah. all there were five series... And it was a big, big E4 thing at the time, and it's all there. On it, all it went off a cliff towards the end. Like, it did. It really ran out of steam, and it the did. last You're series right. was not good. Of course. Of course uh, yeah. But no, I really enjoyed the... F- Save me, Barry! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I like Misfits a lot. That was loads of fun. I'm pretty sure last week you did Aquarius, not Teachers. 
Oh, okay, okay. We'll but you have that, done. I did teach the couple. You have done teaching. Yeah, yeah. And can I just say, I was actually going to do this life, but I thought it was too obvious, and that's how I ended up at oranges and not the end fruit. Uh, okay, good, golly. good. Yep. Pulling back the curtain, let yeah. people see how this all the comes process. together. Um, mine this week, as promised or rather threatened, last week was uh, I'm going to do Californication. Oh, yeah. uh, which I did very much. Uh, this was uh, Tom Capinos half-hour Showtime comedy. This ran from 2007 to 2014. Uh, I believe it appeared on Sky over here. In fact, I think all of it is still on Sky box sets, so I do encourage people to check that out. Was it Channel 5? Was it Channel 5? Yes. It was Channel 5 yes. originally. Oh, fine. Yeah, so it's Channel right. 5 originally, but I think it's now yeah. on Sky. Right. Starred David Duchovny as Hank Moody, who was an author and alcoholic and sex addict living in LA having kind of on again off again relationship with uh, Natasha McElhone who was mm-hmm. kind of his his baby mama and the love of his life um, while also planning around with uh, his agent Charlie Runkle who was an I'm going to say never better Evan Handler absolutely genius character and uh, he's also trying to uh, raise his, his he has this sort of precocious teenage daughter uh, all all this while trying to basically have sex with every woman who crosses his path uh, which is essentially the format of the show um, they had they had some great uh, great guest stars in this over the years Amber Heard was in it Marilyn Manson was in it Tim Minchin had a recurring role Kathleen Turner had a great recurring role in this um, the show was very booby mm-hmm. um Often, I would say, unnecessarily so. Like, I mean, the whole thing was just him, lots of naked women everywhere because it was just him shagging everyone. That was the whole show. Um, that said, if you can get past that, the writing of this was really, really good. It was absolutely superb. And Duchovny, I would say this is arguably a career best role for him. I think his performance as Moody was outstanding. And I think he carries it. Like, his charisma really, really makes this work. I mean, the show is it's kind of rude. It's cynical. It's sometimes nihilistic. It's always smart, though. It's, it's really, really watchable. Ran for seven seasons and featured an incredible array of sexual misadventures. The show was, however, and this is an interesting fact for you, it was sued. I, I mean, I say interesting fact. I'm, I'm announcing an interesting fact while literally both of you are doing other things on your phones. But it's, <laughs> but that's fine. I can interest myself. My fact for you, or rather just for me and the people listening, is that the show was sued by the Red Hot Chili Peppers over the title. That is a good fact. Did yeah. they win? It was settled out of court. That means yes. Yeah. So the show claimed, they argued that the term predates the Chili Peppers song. And it's amazing the kind of random precedent and newspaper articles on old song lyrics. <laughs> they dredged up to prove this point, but it was settled out of court. Uh, Californication is on Sky box sets, and I'm sure you can pick it up cheap somewhere, but I didn't have time to check where, so, you know, there you go. You've let us all down. <laughs> I've let you all down. Yeah. I didn't have time to look at to stop by computer exchange on the way to the podcast. Um, right, okay. That is it, I think, for another Pilot TV podcast. Until next week, do converse with us on Twitter at Terry underscore White, at Boyd Hilton, at James C. Dyer. And please drop five of your best stars off on the iTunes review page, as it is a big help. Uh, Join us next week when things will be slightly different. Firstly... The podcast will be a touch later than usual so that we have time to watch the new Game of Thrones before the show is recorded. And secondly, it will be done entirely without me. As I no! am... There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, as I'm going to be in Star Wars... In Star Wars? I'm not going to be in Star Wars. I'm going to be... Yes, I'm going to be in Star Wars. That's what's happening. I'm in Star Wars. No. Uh, I'm going to be in Chicago at a Star Wars convention. That's a, that's a true story. Uh, Terry will be in the driving seat in my absence. So do... Prepare yourselves for a week of unchecked documentary tedium. Uh, is that what you've got planned? Uh, yes, that. And but the problem is, who am I going to verbally abuse now? If you would like to come oh, yeah. in off the streets oh, yeah, and be like the third presenter on the Pilot TV <laughs> yes. podcast, do message Terry on at Terry underscore White and state your case for why you should replace me. You must have a thick skin. 
<laughs> and be willing to explain anything and everything. Yeah, and you need to pre-prepare a 20-minute diatribe about fire escape. Yes. That would be good. I can't believe I'm missing it. Like, it's Game of Thrones. It's the most me week ever. It's Game of Thrones. Vikings is restarting. The news is the boss, if you which think I love. If you think we're reviewing Vikings, you're nothing Yeah. Coming. Oh, my Next. God. Yeah, so we're <laughs> not going to review Vikings. You must. <laughs> you must no. review Vikings. No. Do you know what? See, see, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like go on there, and I'm gonna record my own bit and edit it in of me in doing you my. You would as well, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, doing you my, would. I'd be like, it's Kjartan of Bebenbear. I do my, my. Getting, what is he even saying? Breaking no out my, my Viking voice again. He's making something up about I'm mis- Vikings. I'm misquoting Last Kingdom. Uh, fine. Also, it's Bosch. I love Bosch. Bish bash Bosch. Love a bit of Bosch. You're going to do Bosch, gonna... aren't you? I don't know. Uh, do you know, I know, James? We'll just have to see season. what kind of what the we yeah. shit we have to watch on your behest, Steady. boy. You can watch the Bosch. Sh- what? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Bosch is great. The, the 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 week when James is out, we're going to do the anti dia show. Oh, yeah. God, it's going to yeah. be. Jill Dando and what what else have you got? What else is coming up? Jill Dando, just for anything with um, death and Boyd's friends. They're the only two. Yeah. They're the and two comedies. threads. A lot of comedies. Yeah. Loads of comedies. All right, fine. Well, I apologise in advance for whatever abomination these two unleash upon you next week. I will attempt to rectify it the week after. What I'll do is when I'm at the, uh, the the Star Wars convention, I shall find out everything I can possibly do about the Mandalorian, and then I'll tell you about it in minute detail upon my return. We can't wait. Why don't you just Skype in anyway? I mean, yeah, what? you're just in a hotel room. Maybe I'll just do that. Masturbating about Star Wars. It's like, <laughs> might as well just like destruct. Well, until that happens, uh, it's goodbye from us. We will see you on the other side of the wall for Game of Thrones Season 8. Pilot out. Mm-hmm.